0: Folate is a vitamin important in growth and development. Everybody needs folate, but it is especially important for women to get enough of during the early stages of pregnancy to help reduce the risk of fetal brain and spinal cord abnormalities such as spina bifida. In this podcast, I look at the key roles of folate in the body and explain how it helps prevent birth defects as well as the key dietary and supplemental sources of it. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition Podcast. My name is Tim Crow, and I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? While I don't profess to have all the answers in an area that is continually changing as research changes... You can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking. And this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins, endorsements or advertisements. Just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language and then translating this into what it means for your health. So on with today's show. Folate, also known as folicin or folic acid, is a water soluble B group vitamin essential to human health. Its primary form in the body is as a coenzyme called tetrahydrofolate and serves as part of an enzyme complex that transfers carbon compounds. Folate metabolism is tightly linked to the metabolism of vitamin B12 and the two vitamins act in concert to help synthesize the DNA required for rapidly growing cells. Cellular growth, repair, and red blood cell formation are all tightly linked to having a good supply of folate. Folic acid is the term used for the synthetic form of folate, and it is the form that's used extensively in dietary supplements and food fortification. The bioavailability of dietary folate ranges from about 50% for folate that you find in foods naturally to almost 100% for the supplemental form known as folic acid. The need for folate rises considerably during pregnancy and whenever cells are rapidly multiplying. So the recommendations of folate for pregnant women are much higher than for other adults. Folic acid has been proven to be effective in reducing the risk of neural tube defects in the developing fetus. The brain and spinal cord develop from the neural tube, and defects in its orderly formation during the early weeks of pregnancy may result in various central nervous system disorders such as spina bifida. Folic acid supplements taken one month before conception and continued throughout the first trimester of pregnancy, which is termed the periconception period, can help reduce the risk of neural tube defects and is one of the key pieces of advice given to women planning a pregnancy. Now because many pregnancies are unplanned, and because neural tube defects occur early in development before many women may realise they are pregnant, Australia, like many countries around the world, has mandated folic acid fortification into the food supply, which is added to flour used in bread making, except for flour that is used in breads marketed as organic. Since mandatory folic acid fortification in Australia, there has been a fall in the incidence of neural tube defects. But the group that has seen the greatest impact is the indigenous population. Prior to fortification, there were 2.4 cases of spina bifida per 1,000 births in the indigenous population. Post-fortification, rates had dropped to just 0.8 cases. Of spina bifida per 1,000 births. So that is a dramatic fall. And I'll link to this research report in the show notes. Now, this is a clear example of the nutritional and health disparity that exists between indigenous and non-indigenous Australians, and where folic acid fortification has a much greater impact because of the lower quality diet on average in this group. There is some research to suggest that folic acid taken before and during pregnancy may also help reduce the risk of congenital birth defects, such as cleft lip and cleft pellet. And while the research is not as strong as that for reducing the risk of neural tube defects, such findings strengthen recommendations for women to pay attention to their folate needs. Outside of folate's role in fetal development, another key role is to break down the amino acid homocysteine, which has been implicated as a risk factor in the development of cardiovascular disease. Without adequate folate, homocysteine accumulates in the blood, which seems to enhance blood clot formation and arterial wall deterioration. Fortified foods and folic acid supplements raise blood folate levels and also reduce blood homocysteine to an extent that it may help to reduce the risk of heart disease. Clinical trials using folic acid supplements, though, have not consistently shown a reduction in the risk of death from cardiovascular causes. Folate deficiency impairs cell division and protein synthesis processes critical to growing tissues. In a folate deficiency, the replacement of red blood cells and gastrointestinal tract cells falters. Not surprisingly then, two of the first symptoms of a folate deficiency are anemia and deterioration of cells lining the gastrointestinal tract. The anemia caused by folate deficiency is characterized by a large immature red blood cells. Without folate, DNA damage destroys many of the red blood cells as they attempt to divide and mature. The result is fewer, but larger red blood cells that cannot carry oxygen or travel through the capillaries as efficiently as normal red blood cells. This form of large cell anemia is known as macrocytic or megaloblastic anemia. It is also the same type of anemia caused by B12 deficiency. Now alcohol interferes with the absorption of folate and speeds the rate that folate breaks down and is excreted from the body. So because people with alcoholism also tend to eat a poor quality diet, low in folate containing foods, this only makes the problem of folate deficiency worse. Intestinal surgeries or digestive disorders such as celiac disease and inflammatory bowel disease can decrease the absorption of folate, which puts a person at higher risk of deficiency. So does folate present any toxicity concerns though? Naturally occurring folate found in foods appears to cause no harm. Excess folate from fortified foods or supplements, however, can reach levels that are high enough to mask a deficiency of vitamin B12 and delay the diagnosis of neurological damage that is caused by B12 deficiency. That's because folic acid supplements can correct the anemia that is caused by vitamin B12 deficiency because folate and B12 both interact together to help restore the levels of each of the vitamins. So folic acid can restore the anemia caused by b12 deficiency so it hides that symptom but it cannot fix the nerve damage that was also caused by b12 deficiency so if you choose to use a folic acid supplement stick with a lower range available of about 400 micrograms a day or less as you will likely obtain additional folic acid from fortified foods like cereals and breads as well as natural folate that will present in foods in your diet because the synthesis of DNA and the transfer of methyl groups depend on folate its relationship with cancer is complex depending on the type of cancer and the timing of folate supplementation because if you look at fundamentally what cancer is it's a mass of rapidly growing cells and folate of course is important any time we have a lot of rapid cell division and cell growth occurring So potentially, could folate have something to do with this process? So some research suggests that sufficient folate may actually protect against the initiation of cancer, whereas other studies report that high levels of folic acid may enhance the progression of cancer once it has begun. So cancer cells divide rapidly, and drugs that interfere with folate metabolism are actually used to treat some forms of cancer. One such drug is methotrexate, which limits the activity of enzymes that need folate, thereby slowing cancer growth. For this reason, it is advised that use of supplemental folate during chemotherapy should be discouraged because of the possibility of tumour protection and reduced survival for people that are having these antifolate drugs as part of their chemotherapy. But could there be an issue with population-wide folic acid fortification for potentially changing cancer risk in the general population? Because almost everybody in the population is now consuming more folic acid in countries where mandatory fortification occurs, there have been concerns raised for some time that this could lead to a theoretical greater risk of cancer in some people. This is a thorny issue to untangle, as adequate folate helps ensure normal cell development and DNA replication, and thus help prevent mutations that could start off the cancer process. Conversely though, too much folate may actually speed up cancer growth. So looking at the opposing actions of folate together led to the hypothesis that inadequate dietary folate can increase the risk of some forms of cancer, particularly colorectal cancer, but excessive amounts may exacerbate the progression of existing colorectal cancer in some individuals. So it seems like there's a double-edged sword here potentially occurring. So previous clinical research looking at cancer-promoting effects of supplemental folic acid on colorectal cancer progression has indicated that the risk may be more than a theoretical one. So what does the most current research say about this thorny question? Using data from a United States diet and health study, which commenced in 1995 and involved well over 500,000 people, researchers were able to study how folate intake affected colorectal cancer risk. The researchers had available to them diet and health information on the participants both before and after mandatory fortification of folate into the US food supply began in 1997, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. As the amount of folate consumed increased, there was a clear drop in the incidence of colorectal cancer, and this benefit was seen both for folate consumed from food and that derived as folic acid from supplementation. The association between levels of folate intake and cancer risk was similar both before and after food fortification became mandatory. The results from this study were taken over a time frame of almost nine years, which is a substantial period of time to see changes in colorectal cancer rates, though further follow-up in the years ahead will help validate the findings. So concerns that folic acid fortification of the food supply could have unintended negative health outcomes appear to be lessened, at least when viewed at the level of the whole population. This does not discount that it could pose some risk in a subset of individuals, and scientists will continue to research this area. So finally, where do you naturally find folate in foods? It is abundant in legumes, fruits and vegetables. The vitamin's name suggests the word foliage, and indeed, dark leafy green vegetables such as spinach and broccoli are excellent sources. As too are avocados. Beef liver is also a good source of folate. And of course with fortification, grain products like bread also contribute to your overall folate intake each day. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible, evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.